welcome to Uphill Conversations. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Pecoraro. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello there and welcome to Uphill Conversations. And I am your host, Tim Pecoraro. And I am glad you could join me as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is so true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So welcome to this show, episode 13. I have a great interview for you all today. But before I do that, let me just first say thank you. We broke our 1,000th download. We're uh, climbing steadily there with downloads, and it is going very, very well. I can't say thank you enough. Um, if you would, if you're interested in how to subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, type in in the search under podcast, Uphill Conversations, you'll find it. Subscribe to the show. Also, if you'll give me a rating and review, and that will help other folks see what you're learning, what you're hearing, and your takeaway from it. You can also go to stitcher.com, just type in Uphill Conversations there, you'll find me, or go on Facebook and like the page, share the page, tell your friends about it. But that's a good way to stay in touch as um, we continue to grow the show. So Facebook, Uphill Conversations. So um, also, I want to continue to throw out there, I want to start doing some coaching days, and I'm looking for people to send in questions, different thoughts, whether it's life, whether it's work, being an entrepreneur, being an employeepreneur, working for someone, um, just send in questions, and I will be picking days that I will share those questions um, or answers to those questions or some ideas and some insight that might be helpful for you. And all you have to do is email to connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T at uphillconversations.co, not .com. So today, who do we have? Well, I have a wonderful guest, Jenny Blake. Um, Jenny is an international speaker, career and business strategist and executive coach. Um, She's fiercely committed to helping people come alive through the pursuit of big ideas, Um, I discovered Jenny through um, her second book, which is called Pivot, and it is, I'm telling you, it is worth the read, whoever you are, whether it's a a work pivot you're working on, whether it's a life pivot, whether it's, I mean, it doesn't matter. This book applies, and it is built with complete common sense and some incredible strategies um, with lots of understanding from a person who really took their experience and put it into this book. Um, and as we said, and even in the, our conversation, she made some loose ends for you to tie up, but there's some other loose ends that she ties up. So this interview will be worth your listen and your time. But we cover different points, and I'm going to jump through some of them, that pivots can be large or small. Uh, you need, need to learn how to map out what's next. It's okay to have some fear. Uh, it doesn't mean something is wrong with you. When you hit a pivot point, move past the what's wrong with me mindset. And we talk about what it means to be a high net growth and impact person. Um, She talks about her own growth, what she went through with her pivots and changes that she's made. She talks about what it means to scan, a scanning process. Um, We even have a great conversation, um, which it's a a first time thing that she's done, which is 
what a breakup and a handshake could mean to your world as you pivot. And um, it was it was great to hear that story. And life doesn't give us what we want, but it'll give us what we need. And one of the other big, big takeaways that I got uh, from her was to stay present and enjoy your building process. So without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I had with author, speaker, coach, Jenny Blake. Well, welcome to Uphill Conversations, and I have on the show today um, someone who I have come to admire, um, and especially through her book, Pivot, um, but that is, to me, the one and only Jenny Blake. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Tim, and everybody listening. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Hey, by the way, did you have any walk-in music when you came in today? Well, I work from home, so did you have any walk did you have any walk to the microphone music? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, sometimes I have an Alexa, she's my roommate and my BFF that lives with me. That's Amazon's Echo for anyone who doesn't know and so sometimes I ask her to play music in the morning. Today was a quiet day and uh, I sometimes I read somewhere that the soul craves a silence not just quiet. And I really like that idea. So in the mornings, sometimes I just actually soak up all that juicy silence. Hey, I love that as well. I, I scare people when I get quiet because I'm an extrovert. And so they think something's wrong. <laughs> but there was something I heard from an author and she's a friend of mine as well. Her name is Sa- Sally Morgenthaler and she wrote a book years back. But one of the things she said is sacred space um, is so necessary, but you need sacred space for a flattened world. And you need to go into those places where it almost feels cathedral. Silence can get that cathedral mm. feeling mm. where you're, Love al- that. you know, where you're allowed to just be still, you know, um, because really you hear better. Actually, you're really able to, you know, sense, feel, think all of those things. So we need more sacred space for a flattened world. So your silence is that sacred space and there's nothing wrong with it. It's so funny you mentioned that because yesterday I was talking with Todd Henry on a podcast. He's written a couple books and he quotes Joseph Campbell in his book, Die Empty, on sacred space and a, I think a bliss space, places where we can carve out for ourselves. And I love how you describe the cathedral level of silence, which is actually a very robust silence. It's very rich and velvety and full And uh, that's really cool to just think about that description. Oh, absolutely. You know, you go into any kind of temple or anything like that. And do you see what it does, like the immediate awe and reverence? And it's Mm. always in that silence. We really experience awe, you know. Um, you know, of course you see a UFO, there'd be some awe, you know, but I'm talking, you know, about that space and that silence and you just look and it's so vast and it's awe. Yes. And actually... I will make the connection to uphill conversations because one of the quotes I love to Jim Lohr said, music is the space between notes. And unless he was paraphrasing someone else, but so often I think when we are in the uphill climb, there's, or we're even at the bottom of one hill preparing for the next, there is a feeling of silence. And can we learn to be with our empty spaces and be with the void and be in between things in a way with the the reverence that you just described and the appreciation. And I'm, I just launched my book and here I am on the other side of this launch. The person I've been for three years is 
I'm working on a book called Pivot. And now that it's out, it's that empty space is back. Mm. And um, not so empty because a lot of people are reaching out. But that deep need, a simultaneous need for silence and quiet and an acknowledgement that it's necessary for whatever is to come next. Wow. That's, and I, and I, and just even going with that, with the thought of, because your first book was life after college, correct? Yes. Yes. And that did very, very well. And I remember hearing on your podcast, which I love, and I want to tell even my audience, I just want you to know if you, if you're going to make changes, if you're going to, you're in that spot of, of looking, seeking, trying to figure out things, this book you know, pivot is amazing. And the resources um, that you have that go along with the book, the way you lay it out, the way it's personable. I mean, I feel like it is a tremendous mastermind that you could do on your own, but you also can invite other people to share and participate. And I even thought of, you know, seeing a group of people who have similar situations doing a mastermind with your book and also getting a hold of your resources. So that's my plug for your book. Well, it's funny you mention it because I just created a pivot mastermind kit that we haven't even launched yet. But for anyone listening, if you just write to us, me and Marisol, who's my communications director, will give you first access to it if you want. So yeah, Tim, happy to to share the links for the show notes too. Yeah, because I would love that. And we're doing a five-day pivot sprint right now. And just trying to, what I want people to understand too, is that while it's great to have a mentor, and I've certainly had many who've been so generous with me, what I would love to see is for all of us to take the pressure off of having to constantly feel we need to be anointed by a mentor for something or reach upward all the time with our networking that actually creating peer accountability with friend tours and peer mastermind groups just with people who are hustling at the same pace we are, that there's so much value in that. And I have cherished my friend tour relationships. And they're the things that kind of keep me going on a day-to-day basis. And then when I'm fortunate to have those like holy grail mentor calls or meetings, those are awesome. But there's so much more that we can do to support each other than just that. I love how you use friend tours. And I love also that, you know, because everybody says entrepreneurs and, and, and all these, you know, unemployable, but I love how you use the word impactors, you know, it's, uh, it's you, you really, you really shifted some, I think some tired ways of saying things, which, Mm -hmm. uh, which is perfect because it's all about that pivot. And if you don't mind just in a nutshell, and I'll get people, I'll put it in the links where they can get the full story. Of course, I want them to buy your book, even on the image I'm going to post, I have a picture of your book. So, um, and, and, uh, but if you would say from your Google journey, just, you know, what happened, your, you wrote the book life after college, and then how that shift, what you went through to get to pivot, and you did it yourself and ultimately produced this book. Try to take us through that, you know, in a, you know, take, take a few minutes here to do that. The best way I can sum it up is that I felt like I was having a crisis every two years. I, I truly, I felt like there is either something seriously wrong with me or I, or we're all going to be going through this. And so we'll come back to the the second part, because that's eventually what I discovered to be true. But I left UCLA early to take a job at a startup. After two years at the startup, I hit a plateau. And instead of talking to the founder, I left and went over to Google. Two years into Google, I was about to quit. I was under a manager who we, it was not a good situation. And 
I'd become a PowerPoint monkey. I ended up pivoting internally to the coaching and career development team because I had done coach training on nights and weekends. Then when my first book was coming out, as you mentioned, I took a sabbatical. I agonized whether to go back. Ultimately, I decided it was now or never, and I wanted to give myself six months. And if I failed, fine. At least I know that I tried. And then sure, and that was a crisis in itself. People thought I was crazy to leave Google. And I had a perfect job on paper. And then sure enough, two years into running my own business, I started to question what's next. I'd become the girl who left college, the girl who left Google. But what did I stand for? What was ahead of me? And this time I didn't have a paycheck to fund that exploration. So as my bank account dwindled right down to zero, I freaked out. And I either had to leave New York and fold my business or figure this thing out. And that's when I started to find this well of grit and, and uh, I don't know, c- commitment to what I was doing. I knew in my gut it was not the time to quit, but I also was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I, I, I didn't want to be delusional either. And I remember feeling like at that point, the question is not the lofty, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? But what do you do when your back is up against the wall? And my back was up against the wall. So what sparked pivot was me saying, I am angry at all the books on my shelf. I've read hundreds of nonfiction books business, personal finance, fitness, health, you name it, I've read it, I felt like none of them were helping get me out of this pickle. And so I realized that the biggest mistake I was making was looking too far outside myself. And like a basketball player, they keep, when they stop dribbling, one foot planted and the other foot scans for potential passing options. And what I had missed was I didn't have a plant foot. I was running around the court like a crazy person. I was ignoring my existing strengths and assets and what was already working and what had gotten me to this point. And it wasn't until I started to double back down on what was working, clients I had worked with, creating programs for them, building more incrementally from where exactly where I was starting from, that by the end of the year, I had tripled my income. And here we are now, two and a half years later, I've been in business five and a half years. And although I'm still at another pivot point, it's much less nerve wracking this time around. And the truth is we're all going to be experiencing these pivot points much more frequently than in the past. They don't have to be a crisis and we don't have to take them personally that they're as often as anything, they're a product of our success. Wow. That's a great summary. Number one. (laughs) And I can tell you've had to tell this story. Um, some things that stood out, you know, that whole sinus, the, the cyclical part, especially when you said it seemed like every two years, like you were hitting this, um, you know, would you say that that's not unusual and people need to get comfortable understanding um, and it's your belief about change mostly, you know, you don't have to be afraid of change. It's what you believe about change. Change is scary, but what you believe about it um, is going to probably be your, you know, your best friend in how you can change your mindset on how you believe about change. But with cyclical things, things that seem to go in cycle, like you said, yours was every two years. Is that unusual? Is that a wrong, is that a wrong way for me to look at it? Should people understand it won't be, there's maybe five, maybe seven, maybe every year, who knows, but they need to get used to that. Would you say? Yeah, I would say that, and pivots can be large and small. So it's not like every two years you need to massively rethink your whole career. But even within running a business or within a job role, we're often being asked to pivot and change in some way. Or I even use pivot as a method to map what's next in anything, a project, a book, a 
business that it's just a framework for answering the question, what's next, even if you use it to set 2017 intentions or goals. And so I think the biggest thing, what you mentioned about the mindset is one, it's okay to have fear. If you're afraid, that's all right. I'm not the person that says, smash your fear, crush your fear. Like (laughs) it's just trying to be helpful. There's nothing wrong. And the thing that I spent too much time on is what's wrong with me. So whether you are experiencing, and I, I do, I do think that we're in a much more volatile job market and economy. So yeah, I pretty much think it's going to be every two or three years, not for everyone, there will be some exceptions. But so when you hit a pivot point or a plateau, you know, just just try to uh, move past the what's wrong with me, there must be something wrong with me. You know, when I wasn't happy at Google, what's wrong with me, when I couldn't figure out my business, direction. What's wrong with me? I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. It's not really the case. It's just that I didn't have the method, the process to figure it out. And so that's kind of my aim is just help people become more effective at navigating those pivot points. Right. And it's great for them. (laughs) It's um, just limitation is going to, everyone's going to face it. Everyone's going to face limiting beliefs. They're going to face, you know, the desire or actually the being prone to make excuses or alibis, because sometimes it doesn't, it become easier to blame yourself to say why this isn't happening or why it's not working. And I think it's normal. I I talk in the book that, um, impactors, people who are, I call them high net growth and impact. They want to be learning and growing and ultimately make an impact on their communities and the world and whoever population they care about. It's, it's almost inherently that we are going to be more self-aware and therefore we are going to very reasonably want to make sure we're not just being irresponsible. And so I do think that that part of it is that for high net growth and impact individuals, we are going to want to say like, gut check here, am I being unreasonable or am I, am I, you know, they're the ones who are at least willing to explore all sides of a situation. Um, but for the most part and in most cases... And most likely is just a matter of looking at what is working and how to build methodically from that rather than dwelling on the, am I being crazy here? <laughs> am I being delusional? Wow. Wow. Well, um, I like to tell people that growth can only be sustained by structure and structure encompasses method and process and systems. And, and it seems that um, you really do a great job um, helping people with that. So that they understand growth. But on top of that growth, I like to see that the people are growing in it. And from just the podcast that I've heard, which once again, I think everybody should listen to your podcast, Pivot Podcast. I think, I mean, once again, it's like you, everything you have right now is like a huge mastermind and a huge learning base. It's just Mm -hmm. probably one of the best um, uh, resources. You know, I see a lot of people having different systems of learning and all this other stuff, but gosh, you have put together something that everywhere you turn, all your stuff connects. It continues to build. And, um, like I said, I like to make loose ends for people to tie up. You tie up (laughs) some for them, but you also leave loose ends to say, you know, put this to work for yourself, you know, on that growth side. So for you going through the pivot, what would you say, how, how did you grow the most as a person, as Jenny? How did Jenny mm. just grow? 
What a great, well, first, thank you for such kind words. That truly makes my day. I'm so honored. And I love the idea of tying some of the loose ends and letting people tie the rest. I, uh, the biggest ways I grew one, I was, I, my whole life have been very frugal and somewhat fear and safety oriented around money, meaning I really clung to it. And it was just a fear worse than death to imagine getting to zero. And, uh, that was like the apocalypse for me. So when I got to zero, when it actually happened and I worked my way through it, I had to just face some of my biggest gremlins, demons, whatever you want to call them. And what's happened on the other side is I'm now less attached to money. It's still important to me, but I'm not I'm not as fear fear based around what happens if it drops, you know. And I and I kind of it helped me develop a trust in my own resourcefulness. This is something I say in the book. Nobody can guarantee your success. But what you can lean on is that you are a creative, resourceful person who can figure things out and who always has. And mm -hmm. so I kind of re reinforced that for me. I never thought I was cut out to be an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, as I call myself. And the final piece is I really, this goes for not just my pivot, but solopreneurship in general, have learned how to, what I call sit at the edge of uncertainty. Mm. So every day I'm uncertain. I actually don't know where, let's say I know where next month's rent is coming from, but <laughs> there have been so many times these last five and a half years where I don't know where the month after's rent is coming from, but it's been five and a half years. So if you talk to me, the girl that had was working at Google earning six figures, uh, that would have freaked me the F out. <laughs> <laughs> and now five and a half years in, I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm, you know, as you've probably seen, Tim, I've done, I've made major efforts to create more scalable income streams this time around, which was really different than when my first book launched. But at the same time, I'm still in a growth period. So I'm, I just learned how to be okay with not knowing and, and not freak out about it. it, it what I love is hearing what you're saying is that you really in that growth, you know, and what you had as a desire, um, first of all, you know, your relationship with money and how you looked at it. And, but you're saying five years later here, you're still going. I believe it's because that desire you have, a lot of people have desire, but they never do anything to put a demand on it to be able to see the physical equivalent of what it is that they're pursuing. And they struggle because of that. It's like the same thing with a burden. People talk about, well, this is a burden. Well, what good's a burden if there's no weight? Mm. You know, I mean, you know, I expect if I have a tube full of icing, when I squeeze it, I want the icing to come out. You, you know what I mean? That's, that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm, and so a lot of people have a tube full of a lot of stuff, but no one will apply the pressure. No mm. one's applying pressure. It's really interesting. Yeah. And, and just to, to acknowledge that our biggest growth spurts come from those low moments or the blessings in disguise, gifts in the garbage. You know, that's a concept that really fascinates me because sometimes in the moment they feel so awful and we would never wish upon anybody to feel awful or go through a traumatic experience. But it is so beautiful to see what comes out the other side. And especially when I love this. It's an exercise. I didn't make it up, but there's research that supports it about seeing yourself as the main character in a movie. And mm. so when I'm working with coaching clients, I love asking, if you're the main character in a movie and we're all sitting and watching with our popcorn in hand, what are we rooting for? Like, what's this epic scene? And what is your character? Why is this happening 
to you specifically at this moment in time in this exact way? Mm. What are you meant to learn and do differently to get through to the other side? And what's waiting for you on the other side? And thinking through these epic calls, you know, these moments kind of call us forth to become a new person, to grow in new ways. And thinking about it as that movie character is kind of fun. And and I think we can all ask that of ourselves pretty much in any given moment, not just in crisis. Mm, that's so good, Jenny. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about the pivot and that's where you got into like in basketball, you know, you were running all over the place. And I know on the inside, we're like that as people, you know, even with our minds, our thoughts, they're just everywhere. And then next thing you know, we're outsourcing our thinking to everyone. And so like in basketball, once you do stop and you have that pivot foot, and if you start to run again, that's called traveling. <laughs> and so I know people have a hard time with that as well, you know, because they're so used to just running around, but the need is to stop and learn to pivot and look and look for the next feed. Where can you, what can you work from? What, what can you feed into a strength, you know, make some decisions from that area of pivot. Um, and what I love about it is, you know, it moves to that next part of scan. You know, I, I think that's what you do, isn't it? Um, isn't yep, that number yep. two? And scanning, yep. which is your 360 purview. You know, I even tell a lot of the people I coach, especially in leadership, I say, you know, they may not be the number one person, but you can have 360 leadership. You can learn to lead from within. There's a real powerful thing about 360, 360 degrees gives you so much opportunity to be able to look. And and here's the thing, in rotation, by the time you come back around again, things change. So you must have developed a very good patience, should I, if I could say this, to be able to keep that foot planted and scan because scan is not just a one-time thing. There's times you have to make maybe several revolutions in order for you to see what you may have missed the first time. Um, what was that like for you in your pivoting process for you on the inside for as a person? And I'm hope I'm being clear. I see it in my head, uh, <laughs> you know, but going around a couple of times and, and, and then well, I, th I think you're following me. Yeah, I, I'm, I think so. I, the, especially once I put the steps to the method, there's four stages total. I just recognize when it didn't work. And when things didn't work, when pilots, that's the third stage, small experiments, when those didn't work, or when I observed other pivoters, and I saw them sort of turn too sharply, if you will, when it doesn't work is when we're not anchored in our strengths. So when a, an experiment doesn't take off, a project doesn't take off, we're not getting any traction, we're stuck in analysis paralysis, or compare and despair. It's almost always because we're not grounded enough in our strengths and previous or existing experience and our one-year vision of what success looks like. And so when we try and veer outside of that and we're not rooted in that, then I think the universe puts on the brakes in a sense and we just feel blocked. And so what it's like on the inside was just the more, you know, in hindsight, I was doing all those revolutions that you described because I wasn't anchored. Mm. And it wasn't until people have now asked me recently, well, what exactly did you do to get out of your pickle? I didn't know how I was being rented. I don't even share it. I don't even know if I give the specifics. No, the, you don't. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, right? But well, I do. Yeah, that too. But the thing that I did was I, I called my previous coaching clients and I said, these people have already hired me. That's an example of an existing 
strength and relationship. And I knew I loved them. And I said, can we do a 30, 30 call? That's how I recommend um, reaching out. I don't like, can I pick your brain? That sounds intrusive. So 30, 30 can, I'll help you brainstorm anything for 30 minutes. I love your feedback on something I'm cooking up at the time. It was called brilliant Sparter. This mastermind group. Now it's called Momentum and it's still a private community that I have. So it later became Momentum. And I just went to these former coaching clients and I said, I'm thinking of building a private community. What would you want to see in it? What kind of support do you need? How many times a month would you want to meet with me? What would you want from your peers? What kind of accountability structures? And they gave me input. So I built something just for them. And when I was ready to launch the prototype, I went back and I said, I want to give you a really low rate. You'll be grandfathered in at this forever. Not everybody signed up, but enough did. Right. And I paid the rent. And then I got it. And then this I've never said on a podcast. I also a month later got, I was dating a guy for a month and I got a breakup and a job offer in the same email. Wow. And that all helped turn things around. <laughs> <laughs> it was for a consulting gig. It wasn't a full-time job, but. I was like, fine, if you're going to break up with me, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, you can help pay the rent. That's fine. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd given him so much business advice while we were dating. And I tried to hold myself back like, oh, that's not the, it's not like the feminine thing to do to be giving business advice, but I just couldn't help myself. And so that also helped turn things around. That's awesome. <laughs> For those of you listening, there's a new way to do a breakup. <laughs> Come with a job <laughs> offer. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to date you, but you're, you know, yeah, your really skills smart are good. Starting a business. Yeah, you're super yeah. smart. You're super smart. <laughs> super smart. So we went from, we went from like, you know, Wednesday, I was wondering when's he going to ask me out to dinner. And Friday, it was like, oh, hey, you know, handshake, looking oh. forward to working, partnering with you. So I just had it was so bizarre to try and like turn off the, you know, dating piece. But I, but it was worth it. And and the, sure enough, it's like the exact pivot that I needed. I, I mm. was like the universe just rolled right out the red carpet. Like, girl, you're not ready to be dating. you got to rebuild your whole business. But we will instead give you this awesome consulting gig who's, and he's now a great friend. Well, see, that's great. But you know what I love is that you, you, you kept first things first and you were able to recognize that and say, you know what, I need to be doing this, not this. I need to, you know, because those can be distraction, distracting to us and distractions and it could be a shiny thing. It could be, you know, any of those things turn into shiny things And then ultimately they leave us with, you know, some, you know, wreckage or some baggage that um, we ultimately, because I believe you're a person that owns their outcomes. I think you, you aren't a person that sits there and says, well, it's because, and this happened and that happened. I don't, I don't see you as a person that wants to blame everyone else. I think you say I'm on the cause side of the effect, you know, I'm not on the effect side of everything. So in this case, something happened, but instead of you looking at that, like, but I want this, you focus on, but wait, I wanted this first and you, you made the most of it. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because it's almost like what happens when your dreams don't come true? They, you know, hope deferred can make a heart sick, but you didn't allow that to make you sick. You know, you, I'm sure it bothered you, but you know, shake it off, right? Didn't Taylor Swift mm. sing something about that? Or something like that? <laughs> oh, funny, funny enough, that was the song that was hot at that time. So, yeah. <laughs> and so that it, was your street walking <laughs> music of Jenny's movie in it New sure York. Was. Better believe it. It sure was. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> so funny. 
I mean, really, I've never said this, but I, I've, it's occurred to me that I'm like, this is a part of my pivot story, actually. Um, mostly because I always get weird when I'm sharing information, too, of like related to dating because another person is involved. But uh, it's that saying, too, life doesn't give us what we want. It gives us what we need. And everybody's going to have different spiritual beliefs and spiritual practices. But when I look back at my life, that has pretty much always been true. Mm. And that even in the moment, if I didn't think I wanted it, it's what I needed and vice versa when things do happen, surprisingly. And so that's that's what gives me the the mindset boost in those moments is just faith that this is the right thing for me, that everything that happens to me is is for my highest evolution and personal growth. And that the challenges are those exact moments that we we grow. And I, I, I really, for the most part, like barring, I think there's a level of traumatic events like death of a loved one, disease, things like that, that just completely turn the world upside down. And they're their own growth experience, but it's a little different than what I'm talking about. Like, oh, I don't know which direction to take my business, but that, that uh, we would kind of be bored without these challenges. And I, I quote Joseph Campbell in the book who talks about the rapture of being alive. Mm. That I think deep down what, and anyone listening to your podcast, Tim, is no doubt a high net growth individual. Well, come on. If we had it all figured out, we would be bored. Yeah. So, we, of course, the second we do have it all figured out, we're ready for the next level. Yeah. And, I mean, for most people, I think that is one, the demand, I think, again, back on desire. It's if you're that person that has that um, uh you know, belief about themselves, their potential and that high net um, person, high net growth individual, you're not going to be satisfied. And you get, I think you get comfortable being uncomfortable, if I could say yes. it that way. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing totally. wrong with it. You know, people ask me all the time, when is it good enough? I'll say, I'll tell you. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you when it's good enough. And they'll say, don't you think it'll it'll one day be good enough? And I'll say, no, I, I mean, I can't. Because in my mind, I think, you know, it's kind of like that. What was that commercial? It's like the Coke Zero and a little kid goes into that ice cream shop and he gets the dude, puts a little bit of vanilla ice cream on there. And it's like, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what's <laughs> and, you know, this is just this is just one thing. And I know that I'm deliberately disruptive a lot of times, the, even with my staff, because I do own a marketing and an advertising agency as well. And with my staff, I'm, you know, I'm limited in what I do there. I'm just mostly the, the 30,000 foot level guy, making sure that everything is, you know, it's a proper ecosystem of activities and that they all integrate and they're cohesive, things like that. Mm. And, but one of the things that they'll come in and they'll just all be pumped up and I'm really bad at, I mean, I'll applaud for a second, but then I go to, and (laughs) you know, how are you going to stretch this? And, and this moves into something that with, with you, that I kind of, you're, I can tell you're not afraid to stretch. There may have been a time that you were, and if you ever, and anyone listening, this is something I do with a lot of, when I go speak at, um, some companies where I'm working with their team and their leaders, and I do some coaching with the leadership and stuff, get a real thick rubber band, Jenny, stretch (laughs) that rubber band. I mean, a thick one, stretch it over, you know, um, horizontally over a clipboard or something, write your name as small as you possibly can and get the letters as close together as possible with a pen 
that you know, a Sharpie or something, something that's going to take, then take it off, shrink it down again. And it's almost unintelligible until you take your thumb. And what I do is like to put it on my wrist. And then I tell everybody to take one finger and then pull it. And I say, now, do you notice that your name is seen until you're stretched? The real you can never be noticed. Fascinating. So get you a rubber band and wear one (laughs) and wear it with your favorite dress. (laughs) (laughs) or jeans. But does that make sense? Allowing that stretching process, you know, and in stretching, it's going to do so much for you, I believe. And I think from what everything I've read about you and, you know, I know that sounds kind of creepy, but I think you understand what I mean, like read online and things like that in your books and stuff and in your podcast, which I love all of your stuff sounds the same. I can hear like it, your book sounds like when I, when I listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. it's you, I can tell this, you know, there's some books I've read and I go, mm, somebody did a lot on this because this is not that person. You know, I, I just I, had that experience last night. Really? I was like, Oh, I was so excited to to kind of dig into this book. And immediately I was like, it just feels cold and distant. Like, where's the person? Where's the humanity? Where's the and then it has three authors. And so it's also kind of weird because it's all in the third person alternating. And I'm just like, where's the soul? Give me like, so I appreciate you saying that. It really means a lot to me. It's really important to me. Right. Because reading the book, that was the one thing I was like, I heard your podcast, read the book. And then I was like, now there'll be the test. Let's hear her talk. And, and I'm like, yes, this is, this is it. And so, um, so what I want to do is move into this part with that stretching. Okay. When it comes to momentum, that's that's a stretching component. I tell people that momentum is a great exaggerator. And this is what I was taught by one of my lifelong mentors. Um, and and he would always say, momentum is a great exaggerator. Um, and it makes you look good. But also, if you don't have it, it makes you look bad. So knowing that momentum doesn't come looking for you and you have to create it. And that is a stretching component. What are some things you do? to really jumpstart your momentum? Mm. I think of momentum as a snowball. And I talk about it this way too, because I believe that once we become better at pivoting, it's more of a continuous flow. And that really what we want is a sense of momentum and forward movement and the pivot points become less jarring because we're now in flow. And so what gets that started? Think about building a, a snowball and it starts really small. And it's just this accumulation of, Um, where, you know, in the book, I talk about pilots, 10% projects that you can run simultaneously to see which one starts taking off. And I I love metaphors. So to switch for a second, it's like racehorses at the Kentucky Derby, and you line them all up, and we don't know which one's going to take off. Even Tim, thank you for all your kind words. And for everyone listening, yes, I just wrote this book, I have all these pilots lined up. I have no clue which one's really going to take off, but I'm ready. I'm ready that they're they exist to be vetted and tested and see what picks up in the market. So that's how I build momentum is by putting a lot of feelers out or ones that feel resonant and based in my strengths and then waiting and seeing and not expecting that anyone, you know, I kind of did go all in on the book. That was a big bet that I placed. Um, So that was more uh, than a 10%. I really (laughs) gave it like a hundred percent. I gave it everything I had. But, um, but for the most part, I then, you know, when I really, when I I call those a soul goal, when you really have a soul goal, 
fine, go all in. You know, you just have that feeling. This is what you're meant to do. But then for the rest of the time, it's these little 10%. And then when they start picking up momentum, you feed it and you, you co-create with that thing. Uh, as you, I think intuition plays a big part in this too, like in kind of intuit what's the one next step and the one next step after that. I love that. That co-creation, it just gives me the image of, you know, I tell everyone that, you know, that launch isn't the potential. It's not potential. That's opportunity. You're the potential. And I like when you say co-create. So that 10% investment, and there is a power of tenths, you know, the the 10th is a powerful thing. Move that decimal one tenth and it makes a big difference. But I love how you bring uh, from that 10th, it still now gets to be the 90% of your potential. You know, you're adding to it until it fully takes, until you fully take over that thing and give it its complete and total life. Um, I just love that, you know, that you're, you know, that's the opportunity, you're the potential, but you at least build. And once again, it goes back to framework. Here's a framework that I'm going to see how it takes shape. And, and I love that you don't, you you didn't say anything about creating a moment, creating momentum as a, as a way to hurry up and do things. So many people are in a rush. I got to do this now. I got to do it right now, this second. And I feel like they lose a lot of detail and a lot of quality. And I think there's a lot of themselves missing from that final product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, and that the, there's no there there. But again, if we have that feeling of momentum, it's also enjoying. You know, as much as I'm writing a book about what's next, Mitch Joel interviewed me for a podcast, and we talked about his real strong feeling that we're in some ways too focused on what's next, and he likes the question, "What's now? What's here? What's right in front of me?" And I I love that too of staying present to enjoying the building process because the launches happen every few years, these are huge epic moments, but the rest is the building. So I also have committed to myself not to build anything that feels like shit, you know, like I have to really enjoy the process. And even when I was writing the book, I, I never said this time around writing a book is so hard. I never like complained because I think it's a privilege. And so I wanted to just, my mantra was let it be easy, let it be fun. And, um, if there's something, you know, someone else I think it was Nassim Taleb said, as a writer, if you're writing something you're having to force yourself to write or you're bored, no doubt your reader is going to be. So just drop it. (laughs) Just don't do it. Pick a different angle until you're excited about it. Mm. Well, it's funny because I've been writing several books for 15 years. <laughs> wow. You're, you have, well, it's terrible because um, the more I say it, the more it's irritating me, which is good. And, and the more it's pushing me. Reading your book, really, I, I, there's several authors that I love, but reading yours was really like, you know what, I'm going to do this. But here's the idea. And anyone listening, this is already, the idea is copywritten. So if you steal this, I will find you. <laughs> but basically, I'm dealing with, with around an idea of, of, you know, if I were to say a man eating shark without a hyphen in it, you know that that's a man that eats shark. But if you put a hyphen, it changes the structure. It's a compound modifier. Well, I, well I'm writing a book all around the idea of introducing um, the hyphen into your life and changing the meaning. So the great compound modifier for your life, the same way of how you can learn to flip things um, and change your perspective. So anyways, what you're talking about of being in the now, I think the joy is in the journey. We're too much of thinking about beginning and endings of things, and we miss all the beautiful and sweet and precious moments that are all in between. So I love how, you know, your I love your outlook on that. So a um, couple more questions here. 
What keeps you from quitting? Mm. What keeps me from quitting? Knowing in my gut this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and my, my mission is to be as helpful as possible to as many people as possible. So as long as I'm doing things aligned with that mission, I'm good. Awesome. And let me ask you this. What is the most challenging thing, knowing that this is uphill conversations, um, for you, what is the most challenging thing as you are moving from current condition and continuing on to emerging future? Imagine it being on a hill, going uphill, not having downhill habits, eliminating excuses, any other thing. What is the most challenging thing for you right now? The most challenging for for me continues to be shoulds around marketing and promotion. I get great feedback on my content, but I cannot bring myself to focus directly on growing my list or growing my numbers or even the podcast. I am so grateful for everyone listening, but I'm not obsessed with the statistics of it. I'm really focused on organic growth. And so I struggle with wondering, is that okay? Can I, you know, can I make, I've for 10 years of my online presence, I've had the mantra, if you build it, they will come and, and build quality stuff, they will come. And they have. And I just struggle sometimes with should I be doing more um, intentional growth, but I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I can, only, I can, it's a blessing and a curse, I can just only do what really resonates. And so it's a slower growth, it's kind of the slow and steady tortoise approach. But yeah, so that's kind of a constant sort of tension that I get curious about. Well, there, hey, there's nothing wrong with it. What's funny is I do marketing and advertising in my podcast. I do so little of it. It's like I'm the same way. I want it to be organic because I guess it for me, it'll be more believable. You know what I mean? It'll be more real in this shift where I am in my life and what I'm doing. And I'm working to create online stuff and all of that. But I just like that organic thing. And it's that surprise. You know, it's a surprise. And I know that's all counterintuitive to the way you're supposed to do marketing, but it feels so it, I'm, it, it's, it's mm. relieving and I I'm eliminating pressure that I don't need. I just need to focus on what I'm doing and I'm enjoying it. So, Hey, how can, um, how would you like uh, my listeners to best connect with you? Well, I'm just so grateful for you to have me and everybody listening. And we've talked about the book. There's also, I have a team of six amazing pivot coaches. If anyone wants more one-on-one -on -one support for, we do a one month jump starts, two sessions with email in between. And I also, it was important to me to offer things like that in my momentum community as a way to have support and connect. Like momentum is as much my mastermind at, like for like for me to have input and support as much as anyone else. So that's where I love hanging out on an ongoing basis. But yeah, just check everything out. And, and there's so much free stuff on the website. That's pivotmethod.com. Tons of free templates at the toolkit. And um, yeah, just, uh, just follow your, follow the rabbit hole wherever it leads. And uh, Tim, once again, I'm so grateful for all that you've done of checking out the work and having me on your show. So for all of you listening, uh, you've been listening to my conversation with Jenny Blake, and this has been another Uphill Conversation. Always remember, you can be more, do more, and have more. And anything worth having is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. And most importantly, though, remember people like myself and Jenny will see you on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you would like to hear more, subscribe to the show. Go to uphillconversations.co. Later on, Ski.